This is a Bible study on the book of Philippians. And since this is the beginning, I will read from my study guide um, that gives you gives us a good um, overview of what the book's about. And the book is actually really short. There's only uh, a few chapters in here. Look through it and it just has four chapters. That's it. So anyway, why read this book? If you've ever had trouble seeing how faith can be dressed in everyday work clothes, Philippians is for you. It puts lofty truths into practice, into practical terms. And along the way, you'll read about a gamut of human experience, joy, bitterness, unity, bickering, arrogance, humiliation. Read Philippians to peek into the heart of its writer and to be drawn closer to the one who was foremost in his heart, Jesus Christ. Who wrote this book and to whom was it written? While under house arrest in Rome, the Apostle Paul wrote to believers in the city of Philippi, located in northeastern modern-day Greece. It lay 10 miles inland from the modern-day port of Cavalia. When was it written? About AD 61, when Paul was under guard while awaiting trial, he was living in his own rented house where for two years he was free to impart the gospel to all who came to him. Why was it written? Paul wrote to thank the Philippians for sending him money to help defray his living expenses. Paul also wanted to warn them against false teachers and urge them toward greater unity. What's the background of the book? Philippi, a prosperous Roman colony where Paul planted his first church on European soil, probably around AD 50, when Paul moved on, the church occasionally sent him aid, the only church to do so in those early days. What to look for in Philippians? You'll find one of the Bible's most prominent psalms of praise to Jesus. You'll see the futility of religious activities and achievements compared to a relationship with Christ, and you'll gain practical tools to help reshape your thinking according to God's ways. So chapter one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That was the first part that I underlined was that first sentence, um, well, actually verse six, where it says, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. Uh, this, to me, signifies the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit who begins work in people once they are believers and will carry them through on to the completion until the day of Jesus's return, when people, both living and those who have passed on, who were in Christ when they passed on, will rise from the dead to be with Jesus. Going back to scripture, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or, 
or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So there's a lot just in that those couple of sentences too. Um, it's about discerning what is best and to so that we can be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. So living the way that Christ wants us to be when he returns and that preparation that we keep that in the forefront of our mind of how we are living today and are we living the way we'd want to be living when Christ returns. That's a good question for all of us to ask every day. Getting back to scripture. Now, I want to I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone that I am in chains for Christ. So even Paul's imprisonment was letting everybody know why he was in prison. So that was actually helping to advance the gospel about Jesus Christ. Well, who is Jesus? Why is he in jail because of him? What happened? And so that gives people the opportunity, um, I imagine, back at that time to talk more about it. And because of my chains, most uh, most of the brothers and sisters has be- have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I think Paul was a great example to people back in the day and also to us about what he was willing to suffer because of what had happened in his, with him between him and Jesus, actually. And I was, and separately from this, I was reading the book of Acts, which we will get to, but it's in Acts chapter 9 about Paul's conversion when he was Saul at the time. And just that he was, you know, heading from Damascus and he had been persecuting Christians, the believers, because he was not a believer. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, I believe. And um, he you know, believed in God, but he didn't view Jesus as the Messiah. And just like anyone who was back in that time that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they're still waiting for Jesus to be the Messiah. But Saul also was blind and he was spiritually blind. And if you read Acts chapter nine, you'll see that, you know, he was blind to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. But then Jesus appeared to him in a vision and it was something where the lights around him just flashed. And um, I think he was riding a horse, or at least that's maybe what I saw. But um, it he fell after this light flashed around him. And there were other men that were with him. And they saw that and they heard the sound. They heard the sound, but they didn't see the vision. But Paul, who was Saul at the time, said, or he, had, he saw Jesus and Jesus introduced himself and said, why are you persecuting me? And I'm Jesus. And, and so that was a life-changing event. So after that happened, when Paul opened his eyes, he could not see, but Jesus gave him instructions and told him to go back into this town and, um, and I don't 
I don't know if I got that far yet, but he was, um, so he was supposed to go back to Damascus, I believe. And at the same time that Paul was praying, so they led him back to Damascus. He couldn't see. They led him back. And then when he got there, he was praying. And for three days, he couldn't see. And I also think that was symbolic because Jesus, after he was crucified, he was raised three days later. And then there's also a verse in Hosea, too, that um, the prophet that talks about after two days, he will re- revive us. And on the third day, he will, we will rise. And so I think there's a lot of significance in these three days. Paul was in three days of blindness, and then his sight was restored. But it didn't just happen like after three days. It didn't just pop, you know, his eyes are good again. He actually, God had um, went to Ananias in a vision and told Ananias, Paul's praying right now, and I want you to go to him and, you know, gave Ananias details about what he was supposed to do. So Ananias goes to Paul and tells him that he saw in this vision. In the meantime, Paul's having a vision of a man named Ananias laying his hands on him and restoring his sight. So God's working in two different people at the same time to bring them together for his purpose. And God tells Ananias that Paul's going to be his instrument, his, you know, his chosen instrument to, um, to spread God's word. And of course, that did happen because all of these letters that Paul's written, the Philippians is one that, you know, Paul wrote, those are all in the Bible. And so his word continues on to to today. I mean, if this was written in 60 or 61 AD, and we're still reading it today and learning from it, from all of Paul's writings. Um, So that's how Paul got started. Now I'll go back to scripture again um, from Philippians. Um, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Christ of Jesus Christ what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance that's like another way of saying that God works out all things for the good of those who love him those who are obedient to his commands who obey his commands um, just what Paul said there i eagerly expect and hope that i will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So there's another thing that he says, whether by life or by death. I mean, he's, he's going to his, you know, to his death. He's saying, you know, I'm going to be supporting Christ basically. And this is how strong his belief was. And it was because of what happened to him, the vision that he saw. I mean, no one would change their life. He had a completely turn around life after his 
vision of Jesus and his interaction with Jesus, he was persecuting people who believed in Jesus. And then he goes from persecuting them to preaching the gospel to people. I mean, the complete exact opposite of what he was before. And it's it was interesting too, when Ananias came and came to him, restored his sight, not only did he restore his sight, but he said that Jesus was giving him the Holy Spirit as well. And the Holy Spirit is the one who makes the change happen. And then Paul got baptized. So all those things happened in a short time. His sight was restored. He was baptized. And he also received the Holy Spirit. Those were all the things that happened. And then look what happened you know, from history in the books that we have that Paul have, has written within the Bible. Going back to what he wrote. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to to depart and be with Christ, which is which is better by far. And I'm going to pause right there because only someone who has the Holy Spirit, only someone who truly believes welcomes death, if you want to call it, or going to sleep until the day Jesus returns when people who are believers will be raised to life and live with him. So only someone who truly believes that would say, it doesn't matter to me whether I live or whether I die, because if I live, I'm going to be going preaching the gospel, or if I die, I'm going to be with Christ. So he had no fear of death. And someone who truly believes and has the Holy Spirit and is assured of that, there's no doubt in their mind that that's what their future is, they're not going to care about death because they know that either way, either way is good and that they have no fear of death. But this is something that I thought was really important about what Paul wrote about himself. So going back to scripture, but is it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So he's seeing his purpose here. He's seeing that if he stays living, he has more work to do and it's better for the people that are around him because when he's gone, no one's going to, well, he's not going to be doing the work he was doing. Con- back to scripture. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. It is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, or he said, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, saved by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So that's the end of chapter one, going on to chapter two. 
Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness, compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. This is a really important uh, part of being a Christ follower. We can see by example the way Jesus lived. Jesus was completely selfless. He was not thinking about himself. Everything that's documented about him is selfless. And in order to... Selfishness is really, um, as I started thinking about everything that's selfishness, when selfishness gets involved, that usually leads to some kind of argument or sin, if you want to call it that. Um, but something that separates us from God. So selfishness, self-centeredness, it's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is selflessness and um, not being, you know, not being selfish. And it's something that that's the main thing, if we want to talk about a characteristic of how we see Jesus, that's what love is all about, is love is, is being selfless, thinking, putting others before yourself. And we live in a society and in a world that is very opposite focused of that. And that's why we have all the chaos that we do, because every that's the message that we're getting throughout the world of how we're supposed to live, not how we're supposed to live, but everybody emphasizing, you know, this self-indulgence and focusing on ourselves and uh, being selfish and greed and there's just, it's the complete opposite of what Jesus expresses as the way he lived and how he interacted with others on earth. I mean, the world is the exact opposite of that. The majority of it, um, the messaging that we get through the world, it's all about, you know, selfies. I mean, that's another thing. I mean, it's just like everything is so self-focused and um, so opposite of what scripture tells us to be. And I think, you know, if everybody, if everyone became selfless, we would live, that's pretty much what God's kingdom is going to be like. So we, it would just be amazing. So we have a little while to wait though for that. Getting back to scripture. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God, the father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, 
not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's another good statement um, that that I think about when I think about like once saved, always saved doctrine. Um, it, you know, it says continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So if you had, if you only had to do one thing and you never had to change your life or live a different way, are you truly, I, I don't, why would Paul say this? So I think it's an ongoing thing that we have to reflect on our life and we're, you know, we have to stay connected just like Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches and, you know, apart from me, you, you will not bear fruit. So we need to be connected to Jesus. We need to have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is residing within us, our lives will be changed. But I believe that people could reject the Holy Spirit, but I don't know if people just didn't have the Holy Spirit to begin with. And therefore the once saved, always saved is true because somebody who's truly saved would never reject the spirit. But then I think about, um, I think about Solomon and he had God's spirit, but then there was a time where he definitely didn't. And the Holy Spirit would not be encouraging him to build monuments to other gods that he did, um, when he was building the city in Jerusalem and so forth and the temple. And, and so it just, um, there's, I don't know the answers, but I'm just saying, you know, it's verses like this that make me question the truth. And, and to say that, you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We know that salvation is only provided by Jesus. It's not necessarily by works, but if we are disobedient to God and we are not working towards that or turning our uh, motivation to becoming more like Christ, our focus on God, why would he write that? Why would he say that if that wasn't something we needed to be concerned about the way we live? If we didn't have to be concerned about it, he probably wouldn't have written that. But he said, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and will in you to will and and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So as long as we're guided by the Holy Spirit, we're connected to God, we don't have anything to worry about. But I believe we do have choices and if we choose not to, then I would be concerned, and that's why I would say that Paul probably wrote that. You know, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, don't fall away. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So even back then, Paul was saying that our world is a warped and crooked generation. And we certainly have some of that today, too. But going back to scripture, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if 
I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to see you so that I also may have cheered when I receive good news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son and with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I can see how things go with me, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you seat, sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor, people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So I don't really know what all that was about, but evidently this person did a lot of good things for Paul and for the people. So that's the end of chapter two, and I think I'll stop there, and the next uh, study will go over chapters three and four, hopefully.